welcome to the first of three super special extra i mean can we call them extracurricular ken these are bonus this is i, mean, I guess but technically bonus. i think that's the first time that you said that and that actually made sense well finally it's about time it made sense <laughs> this is our mass effect one round table for the legendary edition for normandy fm as always i am one of your co-hosts here eric van allen alongside kenneth shepherd ken how you feeling now that the legendary edition is out and available to the public uh that how i feel about that largely fluctuates depending on the moment you ask me so i'm in the middle of playing mass effect 2 and i'm feeling pretty all right but i had to play mass effect 1 twice for a reason that we will get into here later didn't feel great about it then, but uh, so yeah, depends on when you ask. Right now, I'm feeling pretty all right. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about why you had to play all of Mass Effect 1 again, <laughs> but before we get to that, we have two excellent guests here for the roundtable. Joining us once again is the one, the only, John Warren. John, how are you doing today? I'm very good. I'm not jostling around in a Mako right now. I'm on solid ground, and I'm happy to be here. Love that for you. Yeah. Ah, and you know who we finally have for the first time? It's about time. Kat Bailey, how you doing? Hello, Eric. Thank you for plucking me off a distant planet so I can join the party. I'm very <laughs> excited to be here with you. Are you Liara in this situation? Like, I am the Liara. Yeah. Or, you are the Liara. <laughs> or I'll be Tali. Either one. Both are good. Both have been plucked from planets to be yes. on the team. Yeah. Both happen Wait to be bit. women. Yep. <laughs> I don't know about planets, but... <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I just picked yeah. it up on Mass Effect 2, so like, that was the association I've got here. Oh, okay, okay, I gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah, we are here to talk about uh, specifically Mass Effect 1, but Mass Effect 1 in... Because last Friday is when the Mass Effect Legendary Edition came out. It is available. Uh, I believe we all here have played at least some amount of it, if not having totally finished the Legendary Edition of Mass Effect 1. I know both Ken and I have... Um, Kat, let's start with you. Where are you kind of at with the Legendary Edition of Mass Effect 1 at this point, and um, how are you feeling on it so far? I'm not as far as I would like in the Legendary Edition of Mass Effect 1. I have managed to get off the Citadel. I am on my adventures. I'm about to go pick up Liara. I am feeling pretty good about it, actually. I've been playing it on the Xbox Series X, and I was initially kind of like, oh, this definitely feels like Mass Effect, but massively cleaned up and everything. Okay, that's interesting. Like, they really captured the feel of it. That, That's for sure. But then it was also bringing me back to how the original Mass Effect felt. And I was like, oh, yeah, this was a very 2007 uh, game that they made here that they've definitely cleaned up and everything. But as time has gone on and the game has settled into a groove, I'm actually not the biggest fan of everything that's happening on... Eden Prime and to a lesser extent the Citadel uh, because it's it's a little bit slow as it mm. were but now that it's kicked properly into gear I'm digging it and I've honestly really appreciated the care with which they've gone to in walking the fine line between making it playable and good and pretty for a modern audience but also retaining the charm of what it had back in the day that's not an easy line to walk and mm. frankly bioware could have really effed this up in a way that would have just been it could have blown up in their face honestly mm. and as far as i can tell it is not it's been the office opposite it's been a joyous 
celebration of Mass Effect. So the more I play of Legendary Edition, the more that I'm just like, dang, this is great. I'm really enjoying it. John, how about yourself? Where are you at? I have picked up Liara, and I, I kind of forgot this about myself, although I don't know how I forgot it about myself because I think I play RPGs uh, the same way every single time. I am doing basically every planet hopping side quest, like, mm. first. I haven't mm-hmm. been to Noveria. I haven't been to Pharos. I've just been doing, like, once I picked up Liara, I'm like, okay, I've got my full crew, even though it doesn't matter because I put just the same two people in my crew mm-hmm. every single time. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I've, I've just been planet hopping. I've done a lot of the fun little side missions. I've uncovered uh, Cerberus's uh, bad deeds in this one. Um, I've solved a couple of crimes on frigates. Um, and uh, this game uh, fucking whips. It's still really good. And <laughs> it does whip. It's that is great. A good word. It's yeah. really good. It's just one of those games that um, I kind of can't believe they were this confident when they made this game. Mm. I feel like they were like. It, you know, they were only a few years out from making, um, you know, Jade Empire, which, like, I don't think was a misstep, but I think was so strange in a lot of ways that, like, I'm like, wow, y'all are really super confident with Mass Effect. And mm. I think um, it still really holds up. I, I think there are some issues with it, which I think we'll, we'll get into. But um, I don't know. I just it's been it's been at least five years since I played this game. And. Uh, I'm kind of right back in the mix and not really able to put it down. I'm, I'm playing it every single moment I get some free time, which is not much these days, but I've been playing a lot. You know what that confidence is from, John? It's the irrational confidence of youth. <laughs> I a think lot you're right. of, <laughs> A lot of people who worked on the original Mass Effect were just out of college. Yeah. And they're like, and what if we have a whole zero G set piece right yeah. at the end? It's going to be incredible. Mm. We're going to make all these custom tools. And then years later, the Mass Effect team came and were like, what is this custom tool that we have to use? <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> like I was talking to the environmental artist and they were saying that they just couldn't believe some of the things that these uh, people had put together. They would never have tr- attempted it here but because they were young and kind of fresh to games game development they're like no let's do it let's do this amazing set piecing and it really shows in the kind of messy but really big and interesting and wonderful scope of mass effect that in some ways i don't think that the series has ever really captured since yeah yeah i would agree with that totally yeah after so i i played about 24 24 25 hours before i saw credits roll and I think I ultimately came away like I understand why people bounced off this then, still bounce off it now. Um, you know, it's clunky in in a lot of ways. Like the cover system is still just mm. absolutely awful. <laughs> it just yeah. does it feels not... like a cover system that came out a year after Gears of War. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah. It, yeah, it does not like yeah it did not have the benefit of seeing other games start to gradually refine what gears of war created and uh get to the point where that stuff was just so commodified and easily understood it was still like oh man what if you like sprinted and then shepherd went from full sprint smack dab into a wall into cover and let's do that and like the the power wheel feels weirdly unwieldy in the way that i'm like 
sometimes struggling to aim it at the right character yes. or like there's a billion different options on it and i right. like options in games generally but in a fast-paced shooter it felt like i was just constantly pausing yeah <laughs> and, um but at the same time like that blend is so unlike anything else and I, i'm glad you brought up like the set pieces because this this is a game of set pieces to me maybe even more than like um that mass effect 2 and 3 ended up being because i think even the mass mass effect 2 and 3 kind of have their big temples um like the moments of mass effect 1 really stand out and maybe that's because there is a lot of just oh this mission i'm just driving around in the mako on a moon and going to this place and hitting this button and then going to another planet and then going to this place and hitting a button and stuff like that but uh it somehow ended up making those those big moments like the thorian like uh meeting sovereign for the first time just stand out so much mm. um feels like there's a more natural like cadence to this game if that makes sense um mm. like like and there's there's a greater disparity between the highs and the lows whereas like mass effect 2 is just we turned on the nos and never turned it off yeah. <laughs> um and then mass effect 3 is just like everything's on fire all the time uh and mm. and we're constantly tying knots off but in mass effect one i can feel a difference between the highs and the lows and and it makes each one of those stand out a little bit more in interesting ways for me different um, directors right because i think casey hudson was doing mass effect 3 and then they had somebody else for mass effect 2 and i don't remember the exact directors but i feel like there was a different vision for each one i think matt I, walters kind of stepped up at about mass effect 2 and 3 so yeah um, and I think it's definitely fair to say that like Ken and I have talked about this before on here, but each Mass Effect feels substantially different, which is weird when you think about the fact that this is supposed to be a trilogy and it's supposed to like carry through the the, the storyline of Shepard. But each one of these also feels like it has a very different approach and goal in mind with what it's trying to do and the way it's trying to do it. Um, mm. You can see the evolution of Bioware and RPGs in real time mm -hmm. with yeah. Mass Effect. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Not always to the good, I should no. add. Mm. Yeah, Ken, I, um... yeah. You you step in here because I believe y you come in as as one of the the persons who was decrying the uh, the oldness of this game leading yeah, up to this. Yeah, I um. So I, I've played through this game twice. Once was not really of my will, but we'll get into that later. Um, and uh, it kind of, I, my feeling is that like, yes, the Legend Edition went out of its way to like modernize a lot, but the, some, there are some uh, very specific things that like, I feel like it feels like an oversight to have not uh, done more with. And, um, or, and even like, you know, going into like the end of the marketing, it's like, oh, we're going to change. We're going to clean up the Mako a little bit. I don't really feel like it, I, I, Generally, I just don't feel like the Mako is any any better in this game, really. Uh, short of it, the uh, additions they've done to uh, make the aiming easier, but like in terms of the actual driving, that thing still can do a flip if it if it grazes uh, some rage geometry. Uh, the cover system, like I, like I I know they said that they were. were doing something with that but I, it just it feels like the same thing you gotta walk into the wall to make it happen you, you don't um, have to crouch anymore first to, to go into low cover that's okay that's the yeah. change which like is not a big one when everything else around it feels pretty clunky still right 
And uh, even on, you know, like you mentioned, like the power wheel, like that you have to aim it more precisely than you do in Mass Effect 2 and 3, because like Mass Effect 2 and 3 had like the quote unquote biotic curve where like if you were kind of like locked onto an enemy, you could use mm. an ability and uh, it would go like around cover and work as magic. But here, like the sort of uh, way that it wants you to line it up and also the way it doesn't always seem to register that you were trying to aim at an enemy specifically and not like the air next to them. Uh, it just, they feel like weird, you know, like that's old, but it's also just doesn't feel good at all. Like it, that didn't feel good back then. It doesn't feel good now. And it's like when you are, especially because like they have the whole trilogy together in one package, it's like, I wish, my sort of feeling is that I wish that they had been a little bit more willing to just clean up some of the systems. I don't think that like, I, I, th I do get why people kind of gravitate, gravitate towards Mass Effect 1 and uh, it's more RPG heavy systems. But when it comes to things like that, I'm just like, this doesn't even this does, like this doesn't add to like the RPG elements in this game. It just feels bad. It it feels like it's missing that little bit of polish that Mass Effect Two really has, and just generally like I don't think it does the game any favors. When it comes to cleaning up the game, one of the reasons that they maybe didn't touch the systems was because two things. One, Mass Effect One in particular was kind of a house of cards when it mm -hmm. came to all the different mm -hmm. tools and systems and crazy things that they did. And if you messed with the systems at all, there's a chance that that house of cards right. could just like come tumbling down. Yeah. The other reason is they very deliberately set the scope from the start. It was a small team. They were like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to remaster it. We're sticking, keeping it in Unreal Engine 4. We're going to update as much as we can. But for the most part, we are being very specific in that this is not a remake. This is a remaster. And we are not going to F with a lot of things. A, because we just don't have the bandwidth and the, the manpower to make it happen. And B, because if we like tweak with too many bad things, like there's a chance that the whole game falls apart and then we're just getting raked over the coals. Like mm -hmm. Bioware's been burned lately. Mm. I don't think you, yeah. you just read the headlines. Yeah. And a lot of it is because they got too ambitious or, or you know, they didn't scope out their projects properly. And this time, like, they're like, no, we are going to scope out our project properly this time. And Mass Effect Legendary Edition is the result. And honestly, I'm, like, pretty happy with that result. Yeah, I think where, where I ended up coming to it, and as I was playing through this, like, my notes kind of reflected this, is I, you know, I, I started playing this about a week after I finished Near Replicant, the, the version update or whatever they were calling it of the original near for Japan only. Uh, and in doing that alongside stuff like final fantasy seven remake f from last year and all that, I was really thinking about how our expectations have really grown in terms of what we want out of re-releases of games, what we want out of remakes of games, even within electronic arts, you have like the command and conquer remaster collection, which was this gigantic undertaking to make command and conquer not just playable again, but create this like archival work that had all this ancient stuff on it that had all this um, old history and, and old things you could go back and look at and the graphics switch and all that. And like Kat said, you know, Mass Effect Legendary Edition is a very like, they set the scope from the beginning. They, they said, we're going to do this. We're going to do what we can. And then we're going to move on. Cause obviously they have, they have other projects <laughs> and um and in some ways, it is a bit of a bummer. Like, there are definitely things that I wish could have been tuned up or changed outright. Like, if there, there are 
certainly several things I think fans would have liked for them to just outright revisit. And there's certainly a conversation to be had about making the long story threads that stretch across the trilogy just click a little bit <laughs> like together uh, in, in ways that make a little bit more sense. Um, but at the same time, it also kind of just rules to have this all in one launcher mm -hmm. because every time I boot this thing up, I can see all three Mass Effect games and I'm not playing like, speaking as someone who's had to replay these games fairly recently, uh, before the Legendary Edition came out, uh, you had to go through the whole process of making sure that you weren't just buying the games, but you were buying all the DLC and that you were installing yeah. all the DLC. Mm. And yeah, um, that was a big. I love that. For me. So yeah. good. X Xbox specifically, like Ken and I were talking about this earlier yeah. today, the idea that some of the DLC in this game, and I think for Mass Effect One specifically, like Bring Down the Sky, is a weird example because there's really no forewarning that this right. mission exists in the game. It just kind of is on your map appears. and you can yep. go find it. Yep. Yeah. And that's because like the original thing was you weren't supposed to get some big in-game thing that goes like, Hey commander, there's a new mission here for you to go do like that. The warning in and of itself was you have purchased and downloaded <laughs> this DLC <laughs> and added it to your game. So when you boot it up, you will be looking for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, I, and I do think that Mass Effect 1 is probably, at least in the scope of the trilogy, is the one that's probably going to be hurt from that the least, just because that does only have Bring Down the Sky. But like I was playing Mass Effect 2, and like I can already access Lair of the Shadow Broker, and I know, have been playing these games and bought those DLCs, knows not to go do that yet, because like, it's going to be better... Like in the context right, of after the suicide mission sure. but then but some fucking rando that's never played these games before could easily walk into that and be like oh i just committed to like a four hour long thing yeah. and uh like because I, I finished horizon and then uh hackett contacted me about arrival dlc which again all better for the end but like th 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 those are the things where i was just like you know i, I get you like you want to have this kind of historical document but also just like i i feel like context is key in those kind of decisions and what made them work was the context and the understanding that came with buying DLC, which I just don't like it's short of like, you know, searching for a guide, a new player is not going to know to kind of like maybe save things for later or, uh, you know, or like, you know, the optimal time to go find these things. Can you turn off the DLC? You can't. No. It's just all can. like it's integrated. Just yeah. Right. Yeah. I, mm. I feel like if they had maybe integrated that a little more intelligently, instead of like messing with the mako controls because like i have to be honest i've the the mako is 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 like isn't that much better and it's mm. arguably less fun because i kind of miss it being bouncy now it's just like not <laughs> bouncy and also not fun so it's yeah. like it's been very bouncy for me though. I don't know what to look about everybody else. I am no, like not. Like, and I it's hate been to tell bouncy, you, I think but it used to be real. Yeah, you might be a really bad driver, Ken. Mm. That's true. Um, but I think like it it you it used to be very bouncy, like goofy bouncy. Yeah. The suspension on this thing is completely inappropriate for what this is, and that was actually kind of fun for me. And so now you it's can kind turn of it like. Off. Yeah, you that's true. You can always turn off those yeah. controls. I can, I you can, can turn, turn off the off. controls, but you can't really change like anything they've done to the handling to or the how gravity. weighty it is. Right. And it definitely yeah. feels like stickier than it's it used stickier. to. stickier. So I'm like, maybe they just, you know, like uh, this is all hindsight 2020. But if they had just taken that team and said, no, 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 let's, let's make the connections between the overarching narrative and the DLC like clear and make that mm. linear, lin linearity 
clear because then then mm. it'll be it'll be nice for the folks that go in pretty um you know unprepared to right. do this stuff right away now like level scaling and I stuff don't like that that's see, oh go ahead i don't i don't like having the dlc be like really separated out i do actually like it being really integrated because it makes for a more, co more cohesive experience in my opinion sure I, i'm not saying don't i'm not saying separated it out i'm saying oh, yeah, make it clear in some way that these things are, are are like you're not supposed to play a rival right right away like right. that that is like Mm. arguably a mistake to do like if i did that right in in two as one of an early things that's a that's a hell of a thing to like do arguably very out of order right so right. that's just i think all i'm saying is that that stuff would be clear bring down the sky is basically meaningless so it was fine to just right. go ahead and do but a lot when you get to two and three that stuff is i think more I don't know. It's supposed it's supposed to be done in a in a certain order. Which like, yeah, I think they, they we were could, released we like more than intentional. Right. Yeah. Anyway, that's just my only point. Well, I, I think that that brings us into one of our interesting points that I I had been kind of thinking about as we'd been playing through the legendary edition is, um, how are y'all playing this time around? Because I've personally like I went in and be I was like okay you know. This time, I'd like to finally see what the Tali romance looks like because I mm. am uh, a simple man who always romances Liara uh, <laughs> because I can't not. Uh, her romance is just extremely good, and I always do it male or female ship. So it's the most developed for sure across the entire trilogy, and and it carries across the whole trilogy. I love it. It's so like that's such a cool thing, but. Uh, I was like, I want to see the Tali stuff. I've only ever seen it in YouTube and stuff like that. I'd like to see, you know, just like how it looks, you know, playing through it myself. And I might as well do something different because I'm playing these games for the umpteenth time at this point. Um, and yet uh, I, I I still ended up romancing Liara in Mass Effect 1. So now I have to go into <laughs> Mass Effect 2 and, and just kind of like deal with that decision and whether <laughs> I'm going to break that off or not. Yeah. Uh, which only makes it more difficult. So I've, I've, I've really done it to myself, folks. But <laughs> um, I guess Good job, Ken, we could, look, I, I'm nothing but a disaster. We all knew this <laughs> about me. Um, Ken, are, are you mostly playing the same character? Or are you are you trying anything different? Are you playing any different this time around? Uh, no, I'm playing my, my same Shepard because Mass Effect is, to me, like a very specific story about a very specific character that made decisions, whether I agree with them now or not. Like, I did make those decisions back in 2007 and then 2010 whenever the scenes came out. Um, and that is, like, precious to me in a way that is generally how I operate with most choice-based games. So for me, Legendary Edition was more of a an opportunity to kind of, like, actually document it on a system that has, like, screenshot functionality and, uh, you know, something that was going to be able to carry on. Because, like, I got my 360, you know, sitting in the corner over here that's over a decade old that I kept just because I was like, okay, this is the only way I can play Mass Effect, so I'm going to keep this around. The I guess only I can... way? Yeah, well, the only way I've got... I, I, have, a, I have no uh, PC that could possibly play those refuses games. refuses to become um, a PC gamer. Well, I see. It's <laughs> very complicated. I... Every time that you try and explain it to me and tell me it's so easy, it's not. Um, so I have been keeping that 360. Uh, I mean, it's kind of broken now, but like as pristine as I can, just because like it was something that I was like, I specifically keep this to play Mass Effect on. Um, so now I can kind of put throw that away and uh, have it on something on a, on a platform that is, I guess, a little bit more forward uh, built. Like presumably, if as long as um, Sony keeps up backwards compatibility, 
So uh, that has basically been what Legend Edition was for me, like a chance to have that on a modern system and really kind of like engage with it the same way that I do most, or that I've done choice-based games since, like, say, like the PS4 era. Kat, how about you? Do you find yourself playing any differently this time around? Well, last time I played Mass Effect, which was like a decade ago, I was playing as a renegade who steadily becomes more of a paragon Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. learns to... Uh, embrace diversity and not be so much of a space racist and it was good but in this game my character is a hard-edged war hero uh, from a military background very terse with her crew Mm -hmm. very distant for the most part not extremely Mm -hmm. interested in romancing anybody and honestly I'm just kind of rolling with it right now and seeing what comes of it will she will she thaw will she find true Mm -hmm. love how will she react to all of the uh, the hard choices that are ahead of her. Will she grow? I'm honestly really curious. So we're going to find out. <laughs> That's int- I like that story a lot. And, and going into like Mass Effect 2 and stuff like that, I'm interested to see how that carries on. Uh, I like, uh, I like oh, sorry. this. Sorry. I like being able to feel like my character is growing. And one of the things that I've always liked about Mass Effect is this feeling like that I have some agency over how the narrative unfolds the systems mm-hmm. aren't always able to keep mm-hmm. up with how i'm personally growing my own character but that's fine i, I can live with it <laughs> yeah i feel like sometimes you do have to find some room in the spaces in between for for playing the character you want to play i mean mm-hmm. in just about any choice based game but um even early on in mass effect i feel like there's there's sometimes a weird disconnect between like the shepherd I'm playing and the shepherd that's acting out on screen. And maybe that's because like, I I noticed this, especially this time around, some of those dialogue choices don't really reflect the thing that shepherd is going to say when you pick them. Mm. And I was running into a lot of situations where there would just be something really wild on my dialogue like wheel but then when i picked it it would be a completely different sentiment almost like it was what shepherd's inner monologue was was saying and then they were responding with like the the right kind of you know emotional sentiment but a different phrase entirely and i was just sitting there like oh oh this is this is strange maybe one of the the shortcomings of the dialogue wheel in the early days Mm -hmm. um What's funny but, is that Bethesda just lifted that for Fallout 4 and people were like, why are you doing this? We don't like this. We want you mm. to go back to the kind of more traditional, let's have a million options and let's see what they all say. But with Mass Effect, people seem generally fine with it for the most part. Well, mm. I also think the Fallout 4 execution of that idea is just about the worst thing that they could have done. I mean... As someone that just replayed about 15 hours of it, it's like, it's not even like a, an, an emotion or a hint of a sentiment. It's just like, yes, no. Mm. <laughs> like, it's there is so little uh, variation and it's four at a time. And you can almost never ask a follow up question. That that part of that, we could, I, I could talk about Bethesda choices forever too. But it's like, yeah, I, I think if you're going to do that system, you've got to do it pretty smartly with like you know the little borders i actually think this game does it pretty well for the most part Mm. i think i think i think it's only happened once or twice where a choice i've made felt drastically different from what i was trying to convey Mm. but but then again i also 
I think I might have some muscle memory in this game too. Yeah. Because I'm like, I I don't know if it's just me going like, oh yeah, this is what I said in this moment because I've played right. this mm-hmm. game, yeah, you know, three or four times at this point. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I had that situation too, and it was even something that I uh, remembered. I remember we talked about it when we were uh, doing Normandy FM. Is that I think the thing that it took me at least like a couple playthroughs to like really get through my head was that the philosophies of like Paragon and Renegade, which you know, they they sell as like good cop bad cop, but I think in practice ends up being like in in a lot of cases ended up being like unity versus like human supremacy, and it, that like line yeah. is not necessarily immediately made clear to you because I do yeah. simply remember there was a moment where like you're uh you're about to drop down for Eden Prime, uh, Nihilus goes in before, and uh, Anderson says something to you, and then like uh one of the questions or one of the responses Shepard could have was uh I don't I, or should we trust him or something like that and the uh. The game at this point has like, been doing a lot of talk about, like, specters of trouble. The thing that Shepard ended up saying was, I don't trust a Turian to have my back. And I was like, that is not what I thought I was about to say. <laughs> and I'm just like, it, it's one of those things where, like, you have to start, like, it takes that time to understand the philosophy that it is trying to actually convey to you. And I think yeah. generally Mass Effect got a little bit better about, like, the human supremacy being, like, the renegade thing. It was maybe sure. more... um. I, I think, like, it, the stories of those games, it, or at it, least maybe by, by three, I guess, at least, it was less about human supremacy. It was just about, like, preservation of the thing that, you, like, Earth, which is the thing you're trying to save. It, um, definitely, at any cost. it definitely got more loose cannony, not, right. like, not like high-key racist kind of thing. Like, right. that, that, that was a big shift that I was mean, not the major in this one. The major decision you make at the end of the original Mass Effect is all about space racism. Yeah, right. I know. It's like it, they really don't figure out the renegade stuff well, until well, right. And I think hold on well, now we're just trying to decide whether we want to, you know, sacrifice resources. Well, at so, but so like I got I got to say though, but like it, I feel like the game does give you like the space to exist in like the nuance of that because like I like I am a person that sacrifices the council at the end of the, the game because. Uh, there's a Reaper descending on the Citadel. I, maybe I care less about those three replaceable individuals than I do about acknowledging the threat. And then when you get to the conversation later where Udina is being himself and is like, oh, this is a humanity's chance to take over. And then you have the opportunity to have dialogue options. Like, this wasn't a power play. This was a wartime strategy. This was not about that. And I think, like, to varying degrees, like, the game really, like, acknowledges and reckons with that, like, lets you exist in those spaces. Um, it's more, like, on a case-by-case basis as to whether or not that's satisfactory. Um but uh, yeah, like it, it, it likes to latch onto that framing, but I don't know that it always holds up across yeah. the trilogy. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, just good luck them. with that, given that it's three games that were made over the course of what five, right. six years. Actually, a surprisingly short amount of time. But um, you know, teams are changing, right. visions mm-hmm. are changing. Like keeping the consistency is ridiculously hard. It's actually kind of amazing that they kept it as consistent as they did. Yeah, that's, that's, that's for sure. True. That is maybe like the ultimate thing I'm taking away from the Legendary Edition is it's just, I think I've mentioned it before that there's nothing really like Mass Effect out there. And Legendary Edition is also like giving me very much an appreciation for why that is, because how do you even begin to do that? I mean, like it is on one hand, it is very easy and we should like point out the ways in which like Mass Effect does not always tie up its knots neatly. Um, and and does not like carry through threads in a satisfactory way, but at the same time, it it still manages to get a lot of those threads to the end of Mass Effect Three. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 
I guess in the context of that, like going back to Mass Effect 1, it is weird looking at how a lot of that stuff gets laid out early. Mm. Um, and, and I think one thing that I've heard from a lot of people, especially like the Mass Effect 1 fans who, who find this game to be their favorite, uh, it's interesting hearing from them talk about how there's like a lot of things and a lot of ideas that start here and then start to fade into the background as the trilogy goes on. So I'm wondering if y'all felt any of that, because I think for me, I've talked about it before, but like, I like the quiet moments in this universe. Mm -hmm. I like the, the times when you get to kind of just see how people live and you get to do fairly menial tasks and, and, you know, just do things that happen every day and not necessarily like have everything be life or death, uh, you know, stop the reapers or not. And I feel like as the series went on, you got fewer and fewer of those moments. Um, really? And I, I'm just wondering how y'all feel about it. I just would rather explore a planet than fly up to it and scan it. I mm. think that's the, uh, mm. the KU difference. I think yeah. that Mass Effect 1 really took the notion of your space captain um, on an epic quest to save the galaxy to heart. And yep. It didn't always execute on that idea perfectly, but just look at the scale of the, the Citadel compared to how it was later in the game. Just look at the fact that you can walk into the Normandy like almost kind of seamlessly versus, you know, Mass Effect 2 where you were just kind of loading into it. And then, like, I absolutely love how the Citadel is a through line mm. that you don't even real, really realize from the beginning of the game up until the finale of you don't realize how important the Citadel actually is. And uh, like when the, the big reveal happens, it's a really neat reveal. Like it's Mm -hmm. one of my like kind of favorite moments in the series. And it's uh, has some cool things to say about, you know, humanity just kind of uh, adopting technology that it doesn't really understand, like Mm -hmm. um, becoming a trap. Mm. It was good. (laughs) It was good. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. That is one bizarre part about playing it now. And I was remarking this to someone that like, wait, they all just showed up and like the first council race showed up and the Citadel was there and it was functioning and there were a bunch of little keepers taking care of it and they couldn't talk to the keepers and they couldn't figure out what the keepers were doing, right. but everything just sort of works. So they were like, shit, I guess we'll move in. There's a giant, there's a giant, huge, very useful space station and mass relays that will allow, give you faster than light technology. Mm. Heck yeah, I'm in. It uh, it definitely makes me sympathize with uh, the Solarian that you help like scan all the keepers because he's like, man, have you not noticed <laughs> uh, how weird this is? Yeah, <laughs> like, mm. yeah. Uh, it's against the law to talk to these little bugs. It's weird. Yeah. Um, I I think there is a subtle absurdist humor with the first game that i think is gone by the time the second and third game roll around mm. in the sense that you land in noveria noveria and the stakes kind of feel high but then you got to deal with bureau- bureaucratic bullshit for like an hour which i feel like is really funny like corpo bureaucratic weirdness and mm. espionage and some some kind of bizarre stuff I feel like the humor in the second and third game are a little more on the nose, mm. um, which which is fine. But I think there is kind of like the, the keepers and the, the side quest there 
um, Barlavon's whole deal. Um, mm. Like most of the Volus and and um, Elcor conversations, like I feel like there's a lot of stuff that I'm either not remembering, which is totally possible uh, because I haven't started two and three yet, um, or stuff that's just kind of gone. And I think that, that goes back to the quiet moments. And and I also totally agree with Cat uh, re like the planet exploration stuff like as as clunky and as maybe outdated as the mako stuff seems there was something very believable about about landing on a planet that tells you there's no population here because that that's when you go to like the the local cluster and some other like uh, other clusters that have some actual cities there and scan those planets that there seems to be a really cool there's a cool like descriptive element but you have to imagine those things you can't land in those populous mm. planets so there was something really cool about landing on a terrestrial planet there is no population but there are these tiny stations set up and you know uh, you can talk about re uh, um texture recycling and and, and mm. all that but like i immediately came up with a very believable headcanon about why all these stations look the same and like why why these artifacts kind of look the same and it's like it's because this is the the genesis of exploring these places and i think it's going to kind of look and feel like this and that kind of stuff i think is really missing from two and three um, that lines directly up with my why the mako sucks headcanon so uh, i appreciate that yeah early technology is that it mm-hmm yeah, yeah, it's a Ford F-150 with a tank cannon on top of it. <laughs> it's, it's supposed to be that. Um, no, like, I, so there's, there was a very specific side mission that, like, took me aback in this game. And normally, like, when I say that a side mission, you know, strikes me in an interesting way, I'm, I'm talking about something like, you know, Mass Effect 2 and, like, Samara's loyalty mission, where it's like, oh, this is some really good writing and you're doing most of it without pulling your gun or, you know, the, the right. Geth fighter squadron in mass effect three, where they just do something really, really interesting with the space and with storytelling and twist your expectations. But in mass effect one, it was when I touched down on a planet and all I, I can't even remember what quests initially sent me there. It was one of the many, you know, there's so many UNC go do this for us. UNC go do this for us. Uh, Admiral Hackett, calling you when you show up in a system he's like hey shepherd uh we got some weird shit going down on this planet we uh <laughs> kind of need someone to check it out under the table uh could you do that real quick um and i i go to the facility and it's just eerily quiet but there's like this weird almost ringing noise in the background i i, I like recorded the video to make sure i wasn't having like an error with my my sound card or something but it's like this really haunting music in the background like lavender town pokemon music and uh eventually husks start showing up and you start to realize that something has gone terribly wrong here mm -hmm. and then as you're working your way through this place trying to figure out what's happened two giant geth destroyers show up and mm -hmm. like try to murder you and and you're like it's just this very natural horror story like found horror story that plays out in this quiet part of the universe and it just emphasizes that idea that yeah there's so much of this universe that is unsettled untamed there are people going out here trying to set up these stations that are probably cobbled together with the space equivalent of storage lockers in the uh 
in the wild west of this of this giant galaxy and they're running into all kinds of terrible dangers and thresher maws and stuff like that but that kind of rules like i love that and it's yeah it happened very i guess not organically you know they probably built that thing to be like oh yeah this will be a really creepy little place to, oh, to sure. show up to but it's not so like signposted scripted like this is what's going on this is operation husk <laughs> husk yeah. container or whatever yeah especially um, if you don't remember it or playing it for the first time it's like yeah that that feels very it almost feels emergent the first time mm -hmm. for sure yeah and, and as much as i love mass effect 2 and I'm, that's the one i'm currently playing through right now and i love the way that it feels like i'm almost watching a netflix series where every mission is its own episode right. and it always ends with a little chat with the elusive yep. man and a little like here's what you achieved on this mission and like yes. almost like an end credit role right. and i like that aspect of it a lot but it is substantially different from what mass effect one is mm. there is a sense of atmosphere to the original Mass Effect. <laughs> I think mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think one of the reasons that Eden Prime was in the discourse mm. early on mm. was because people were talking about how apocalyptic it all felt. And there is an apocalyptic kind of undercurrent through the entirety of the original Mass Effect, uh, for sure. It's, it's really interesting, actually. But I didn't actually think that apocalyptic feeling got left, got lost necessarily in the Legendary Edition of uh the original mass effect when i was on eden prime there mm -hmm. was still the the air felt a little bit weird um when yeah. saren um pulls the trigger or when the, the husk starts showing up pistol yeah mm. like it all works extremely well but like there's a creepiness to everything because you don't know what the heck is going on so when you see the yeah. husks like you know w when you see the uh geth putting the people on the the the, the spikes and it's shooting out of the ground and then the husks are coming to life. You're like going, okay, I don't know what's going on, but this is scary. Yeah. Or the first time you see the Reaper and you're going, what is going on? Or the first time you actually talk to a Reaper, right, right. <laughs> which is yeah. one of the best and creepiest moments in the entire series. I, I think it's, I, it's so interesting. You bring up the Eden prime stuff because like um, a few people brought this up too, uh, online. So, you know, I, I definitely, this is not an original thought, but like the horror stuff in Mass Effect 1, it, I really kind of wish they had almost leaned more into that. In And they, mm -hmm. they, there are missions in 2 and 3 that do this well. I mean, there really are scary moments with the collectors, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And there are uh, scary moments with those like abandoned Geth ships in, in Mass Effect 2. Um, mm -hmm. But it's so funny it's like you buy this game it's like oh it's a space adventure and then you see this like fucking event horizon ass video like at the big it's like oh we got a, a signal coming in from eden prime and all these people are like losing their minds and you've got this like squid ship coming out of nowhere mm -hmm. and you're like what and then you see a husk get made and you're like what am i playing and and it's it is this kind of disorienting feeling and and even though they've put a a coat of paint on Eden Prime that I, I don't think it needed. Um, it does kind of set it up as just like, hey, this is a game in which you will be scared because this is a, mm. a, a really uh, unfamiliar place with unfamiliar aesthetics. Um, I think the sound design is really strong in some of those areas. I think like when you go to an abandoned station and there's just that low humming fax machine kind of noise. 
Yeah. Um, that's coming through while you're combing through some big empty rooms, but you're always kind of not sure if there's something in there with you. There's the frigate you go to where that guy is on life support. And you're mm. uh, you're kind of combing through the records and be like, why is this guy on life support? He is turbo dead. And if you have Tolly there, she's like, yeah, this guy's dead, Shep. Like, pull, pull the plug. And you figure out that kind of what's going on, but you haven't found anyone else yet. And so I unplugged him. And then right away, his girlfriend, who is a biotic, keeping him alive, bursts into the room and tries to kill us. And is, like, screaming. And I'm like, whoa, like, I'd mm. forgotten about this mission or maybe didn't even play it the first time? I don't know. And But there's there is horror in this game that I think they do pretty well, given the, I think the, uns the unsophisticated, um, you know, scripting techniques that they're using. Uh, and I don't know. I, uh, that part of mass effect one is definitely a nice, uh, setup to the rest of the series. I feel mm. like. Anyway. I had, um, on things that maybe changed or like went away or not, it's still kind of there, but I, th I feel like it's the most prominent in Mass Effect 1. Um, something that I think I really struggled with more so than, I mean, I think that just comes from with, like age and understanding of the world is uh, Mass Effect 1 is a cop game, like more so than 2 yeah. and 3 in a way that um, even as a person that plays primarily Renegade, like, and I did in some instances kind of like just stick with those decisions because again, like Mass Effect is a very specific story to me and I'm going to like stick with the script uh, even so. Um, I... I, I guess I forgot how much it leans into that in some way, especially, like, say, with, like, Garrus's plotline and how, like, it almost feels like that aspect of even that character is, like, kind of forgotten, like, lost in time because, like, it's not necessarily what they lean into as hard. Um, but it, it was striking to me, like, when I was playing through it in the Legendary Edition, that it was so pervasive that, like, this idea that we should have this that humanity wants to be, like, among the elite, which is to have a space cop that can go around, do whatever they want without any real ramifications. And I never felt like... I, I feel like the council, which is supposed to be, like, you know, the people you answer to, like, they are... It's like, they do have, like, you know, opinions on the things that you've done, but they are also, like, they are a video game system. Like, they have, like, the Turian is... The council is always going to hate whatever you did. The Osari is going to kind of, like, mediate things, and then the Solarian is going to kind of, like, play devil's advocate on the other side. And I'm just like... Man, that is, a uh, like, because Shepard out, like, exists outside the law in Mass Effect 2, but it is in, like, kind of, like, more seedier sides of the galaxy, whereas Mass Effect 1 Shepard is being the cop in what is basically, like, you know, the majority of Citadel space and, like, has the jurisdiction to do whatever they want. And, um, yeah, it, it made me, like, even hard to relate to the character that I had been, that I've been playing, like, for over 14 years now. My, like the vision that I had of him just because I was like, okay, this is what I did back then and I'm going to stick with it. I think well, if you think about, think about when it was made, right, which exactly. 2007, the yeah. height of the 24 era mm -hmm. and the war on terror and all of that. Right. So yeah. I'm not surprised yeah. that Shepard is p posed as the, the lone cop who's out there meeting out justice across the universe against bad actors right. while the weak uh, alien UN just trying to hold him back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I, I think it has, you know, whether intentional or not, it ends up doing interesting things that the other two games don't ever really breach upon because of that. Because, like, I, again, when I, 
I always bring it up, but one of my favorite moments in Mass Effect is when you get to the Citadel first time and you get to just go talk to that Volus ambassador and Elcor ambassador. And not only is that like your introduction to the idea of alien life that exists in very different conditions from humans, <laughs> but they're also like trodden upon species that have mm. very real reasons to, to beef with the main council races. And also yes. the idea mm. of like, there are council races and, lesser species which right. the vi of the citadel calls them yeah and uh like it it at least gives like reason for them to explore power dynamics within mm. this universe that i feel like they get touched on and right. i feel like in mass effect 3 that's maybe the most with like batarians and and kind of the, the fallout of yeah. some of the dlc and stuff there but i feel like mass effect 1 has so much room to just see how that stuff pans out and how it affects different um, species differently, how it affects right. different people differently. And also yeah. the idea that humanity itself is this bullish upstart that has been there for all of, I think it's, is it 26 years by the time Mass Effect 1 starts? I think Caden says that at some point. Yeah. Um, but they've been there for like barely any time at all and they're just like yeah we want an ambassadorship we want to be on the mm. council we yeah. want a specter right. who gets to shoot everyone without yeah. questions <laughs> yep. but the game the the game goes against that in many ways because the paragon is to be unity you know right. to push right. back against the aggressive instincts of humanity and i i think that's good i'm into yeah. that yeah it definitely gives you like the opportunity to be arbiter for change um and like we talked about in the uh, Annihilation episode, I feel like, by and large, like, it is presented through a very human-centric view, and, like, some of these, like, more, uh, you know, this universe has, like, various qualms, like, that it addresses, but some that it never really gets around to, and I think that is largely because it is human-centric, it is always, always through how do these things affect Shepard, and, um, like, and, and we, like we said back then, it was, like, I, I, I do feel like Mass Effect kind of has to contend with this in some way, especially if this new game is going to be kind of, like, a sequel to both Andromeda and the trilogy in some way. Because uh, yeah. both of those kind of gloss over that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm about to have an in this essay, I will moment. But, like, I will <laughs> I will say the, the the weight of the fact that only non-humanoid-shaped races are mm. the ones that don't make the council is, one, I get it from a technical perspective they they did a lot of work and they're like okay we can only really do the, the humanoids out on missions or whatever like so there's a little bit of that but there's also just you know um as i as i try to look a little more closely at the way ableism especially kind of like you know exists in games it was really interesting to just talk to elcor and volus and uh, different races that aren't on the council for the first time and go this is kind of fucked up huh mm. like it's not the not the best situation and um um i think you know the elcor are put upon and sound more put upon than they are um just due to the way they communicate which is really still really charming i think the elcor mm. are so yes. charming yes. Mm. um i just wish i had an elcor on the normandy just like yeah. why why like why didn't they put you know there, there's like quartermaster on the normandy I was boring. just thinking that. I was like, it's make so the boring. shop dude in Elcor. Make the shop dude in Elcor. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. I'm delighted, Shepard. Would you like to see my wares? <laughs> no. you know, that'd be great. 
Um, remark i have new licenses (laughs) (laughs) new licenses exactly and and like the volus are are hilarious because um they're they're so fucking put upon and they sound like it and and every single thing they do they're impatient and they have this little napoleon complex every single one of them and of course i'm obsessed with them because they're exactly me and and I like I, I love the short kings, and they are, I don't know like I'm I, it's it's one of those things where people write about how yes this is super cop centric and what would it like would it, what would it be like without that element, and to me Mass Effect without a lot of that just looks like exploring mo- a lot of those non council races and spending mm-hmm. a lot of time with them, and I really hope even though this is not what this episode's about I really hope that gets explored in earnest in whatever comes next mm-hmm. because that is the most interesting part of this universe after having spent so many hours with with this other part so it's like the the great star trek debate which mm. is i mean if mass effect is star trek right, right with more of an action bent people always argue well is star trek more about exploring the cosmos and unpacking right. the human experience or is it more about the Horatio Hornblower in space and that kind of thing? Right. And Mass Effect definitely hews more toward the latter than toward the former. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the problem is, I think Mass Effect Andromeda wanted to go in that direction, yeah. actually. Yeah. And it didn't work. Forgot so. the aliens. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. They're like, oh crap, we wrote out half our alien races. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's a right. That's a like something again I recommend to anybody. If you like this universe and you want to see like it out of a human history view, oh. read Mass Effect Andromeda Annihilation. It is the probably the best piece of extended media in this franchise, I think. And uh just really explain, like goes into how like there are these four races up top and everybody else just got shoved into one arc. And what, what how do they feel about that and how do they feel about the life they're in mind? So mm, do that. Right. Yeah. Um, I, again, this is a Mass Effect one roundtable, but like I keep thinking about that novel because not only is there basically no human character in mm-hmm. it, there is one, but a womp womp. And uh, like the rest of it is just that thing of like, oh, they crammed the Quarians and the Drell and the Elcor and the Hanar and the Batarian. Han- yeah, Hanar and Batarians mm-hmm. and all that together. And just that was the arc and they were like well you all have you know such reasons you have to live in such specific conditions and all that so i guess you can all be on one arc and figure it out and of course they're the ones that have trouble halfway to andromeda so like oh man that is go read that if you want more of that but i think Mm. it is it says something that a lot of our takeaways from playing mass effect one again are thinking about the possibilities of this universe because it is the game where i come out of it going like there are just so many places that you can explore. Like there's yeah. so much here. Um, mm. And and I can't help but feel, and I've said this before that like as the, the trilogy goes on, the scope like narrows in terms of what it's trying to focus on because like obviously the Reapers are the main, they're the A threat. Like they're the, the number one thing about Mass Effect and Shepard is here to stop the Reapers. That is the story of Commander Shepard. And uh, the closer you get to the Reapers being an actual threat that, that Shepard has to deal with physically in the moment, uh, the less you have time to go hang out with the Elcor ambassador and shoot the shit about how much <laughs> it sucks for them. And 
yeah i think more than anything that is what i want from this series moving mm. forward but um I, I don't know like is there is there anything else like that that y'all felt like parts of of mass effect one that that never really got to to come to fruition in interesting ways um because like i i don't know well, they're, they're I mean, just little little bits we never got to explore why in mass effect one the grenades are little floating hockey pucks that just kind of go <laughs> on an infinite they, they rule on an infinite travel until they're stopped by either the geometry or the le- of the level or nothing sometimes mm-hmm. feels like nothing sometimes um yeah no my real answer i, I don't know i think I think they set up so many interesting alien races that I, I that that's really the big one for me is that they just didn't I just kept on holding I remember when two and three came out I kept on holding on hope that we would get one of them if not playable but very much entwined with the narrative of Shepard and and his crew and mm-hmm. instead we got uh, a spaceship that turned into a uh, uh, a, a spaceship with boobs and then we got like um i don't know we just got we got we got we got rex's replacement oh, you're talking about Edie for a second i was like, yeah 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 no 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 Edie's boobs. just a uh, spaceship with boobs um <laughs> uh like we just got rex 2 you know it's like i, I mean they're they're these oh, characters come are on. Gr- i like grunts. <laughs> listen, grunts, i like grunts. listen grunts fine i'm just saying all basically everything they did for two were like let's let's think of the stand-in for someone we're missing from one and it wasn't really thinking about um how many different other this is such a game full of tropes and archetypes and that's great but we only really covered a a few in the first and i feel like we didn't really explore a lot of the other ones that we could have in two and three so that that was really one of those disappointments but, Inevitably, um, every single conversation about the original Mass Effect devolves into, but yeah, but here's why Mass Effect 2 and 3 suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's true. Like, I am one of those people that, like, there there is such an amazing world-building aspect. Like, what an introduction to this world. And that, that yeah. carries so much weight for me, personally, even though I... I do recognize now that I'm missing parts of two and three as I play through one where I'm like, okay, yeah, that quality of life stuff was great. And, oh yeah, mm-hmm. the shooting doesn't feel as good. And, oh, the, the moment-to-moment actual conversations with characters are, I think, a little bit stronger in two and three. Um, yeah. But they're, they're, what is, like, a slam-bang introduction to this world and mm-hmm. a lot of that mystery and, and awe is both naturally not present in two and three because you've been introduced to it but also i feel like they stepped away from some of that um Mm. which is the thing that i I wish they hadn't done but that's Mm. me well i guess i'll ask then is there like for for ken and i we can answer in terms of like what we have seen what we really enjoyed seeing the second time but uh for you cat and john like are there any moments you're particularly looking forward to uh, seeing for the the second first time, I guess. Are there any moments of this game that really just uh, you can't wait to see again? Yeah, <clears throat> man, I really loved the finale. I already mentioned it. It's such a great set piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where I felt like I was in on Mass Effect 
when that huge battle erupted around the citadel mm. and you're on the outside mm. then you're on the inside and you have the final uh confrontation with Saren, and you can of course get him to shoot himself in the head which fucking rules <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. and uh and you're making the big choice on the fly that was when the scope and the feeling of mass effect really clicked together for me and mm. it landed so hard that it propelled me through the rest of the series i feel so mm. i really want to see if that if that entire sequence just holds up for me mm. yeah um Gosh. i do want to note real quick yeah. uh in that finale when i replayed it for normandy fab i played femshep as much as i like the voice of male shep uh, there's a line in the finale as uh, as as Shep is like operating the Citadel controls and opening up the arms so ships can come in and all that, and they gesture to their squad mates to go check on Saren. Wh- whether you beat him in the boss fight or whether you you know killed him with kindness, <laughs> um, <laughs> you you can be like they they basically say like go make sure he's dead, and right. Fem Shep delivers that line in a way where I was just like holy shit this is a character and a half like it's usually like with and, and maybe this is the profound difference between male shep and fem shep but when i play dude shep i i kind of just see him as being one of those characters that would be very easy to self-insert and play as yourself and just kind of be like yeah. oh yeah this is my rpg character but when i play fem shep i'm playing Fem Shep, man. Like, this is an individual, like, character who I'm making choices for, who's being driven by my choices, but who also has, like, a life and personality from the jump. For sure. Uh, And that was, that's the line that always gets me is the go make sure he's dead. I'm just like, oh, shit. (laughs) I'm I'm definitely looking forward to the standoff with Rex again. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. yeah. It's an intense moment. I know what I want to do. So there's no, like, there's no one. Uh, Ken, and, Ken and I talked about this on, on one of our fanbite shows, but it's like, I know what I'm going to do, and there's no, there's no like, mystery or drama in the choice. And I know mm-hmm. Rex is going to make it out of this thing alive for me. Mm-hmm. But that scene still makes me feel like I'm backed into a corner. Like, mm-hmm. even, even, like even if I know what's happening mm-hmm. in a way that still impresses me, and it's still... It still feels like a natural progression. I went to go find Rex's family armor on one of those planets, and he kind of has this moment where, you know, he's like, "You're kind of okay, Shepard. You know, like you're not, you're not just a guy I'm following Shepherd. around. You seem like an okay guy." And and I'm like, "Okay, like Rex is cool, but I still don't feel like I know Rex." And Rex, I definitely don't. You know, like I, I just asked him, "Genophage? Huh? What's that?" You know, like mm-hmm. I'm still this idiot. <laughs> On, in this world right. and I, he's on my ship and i'm kind of acting like we're buddies and that scene is basically him going like we are not fucking buddies dude like right. i've got a not lot your, of shit i'm not your friend lot, pal yeah i'm not i'm not your friend i got a lot of shit going on and that stuff is way more important than you and like that still is one of those scenes where I'm like, wow, they pulled that the fuck off. Like right. in ways that mm-hmm. a lot of teams would kill to, to recreate that kind of tension um, in dialogue. So I'm looking forward to doing that. And I'm probably, mm. I don't know, I'm probably another five hours away on that, but I'm, I'm excited to get there. 
Yeah, speaking like on, I think I think for me, the moment of Mass Effect One is still Vermeer because like, yeah, it, it is one of the things where like it establishes like the stakes of these games in a way because because like you're making choices all throughout the game, but like a lot of these kind of like, they they are things that you will be able to walk away from and ignore, but like that is something that changes like the very foundation of like your party and, uh, is and is reflected. I think I in my opinion, if you pick the right person and you know you. You know, you see them through to the end. Uh, I, I feel like it is uh, one of the because, like, I, I feel like a lot of the carryover in the trilogy does end up being two to three, and I think that's just you know right. how the how the chips fell. But I do think you know those specific choices, like what you do on Vermeer, both with Rex and with your human squad mates, are the things that do matter, and like they are like things that I feel like when people say like the choices from various things didn't uh, carry over, I feel like you kind of have to like willfully ignore the, the ramifications of these things right sure. and um yeah and, so, and i and i feel like i i still like like you said like knowing what was going to happen no knowing what my choice was going to be um i still felt that like the weight of it and even having played these games like a dozen times over at this point yeah like my answer was also Vermeer because that that whole mission front to back i forgot just how much i love it mm. like from the initial outset, you know, you're dropping in with the Mako to go try and figure out what's going on and, and clearing the way so that way the Normandy can touch down. And and that's all well and good. And that's kind of like, you know, a very, it feels very straightforward at this point because by that point you've probably done the other three missions. So you're like, okay, I'm dropping down, Mako time, yay. Let's do this part and then get to the shooty part and move on. And then you get to the base camp and... uh you talk to Kirihi for the first time and he's like, Oh cool. Are you like recon scouts here ahead of the fleet? And you're like, what fleet? <laughs> and he's, he's <laughs> like, we, we signaled for a fleet. Saren's here. And not only is he here, but he's literally breeding an army of Krogan, like five miles that away. <laughs> and, uh, we literally asked for an entire fleet to show up and glass this planet. And, uh, who are you? And you're like, I'm the reinforcements. Mm. And, and, and then you like basically go into this. I mean, it, it's a plan that cure. He admits everyone will probably die on. Like mm. there is a very low survival rate yeah. for most of those characters. <laughs> and he still delivers like that rousing speech that we all love. Uh, we held the line and all that. And, mm. and then you're in this, the segment where you're having to make decisions about spending extra time and fighting extra enemies to go take out stuff that might ease the burden on the distraction team. And uh, it's just such an incredible mission. And I love that it starts out feeling so much like the other ones before it starts dropping Mm -hmm. hammers. And like, and on top of all that, as, as you all have already mentioned, you're facing off with Rex. You're having to make a decision about who stays and, and dies and who lives. And yeah. uh, you're also confronting Saren about indoctrination. And you're, mm-hmm. you're dealing with so much stuff in this mission. That ends up becoming... Do you let, yeah. Who do you let die, Ashley or Caden? And why is it <laughs> Ashley? I've, I've, got, I've actually gone back and forth on this. And if I had not made an oath to Kenneth, Shepard before playing this game I might have taken Ashley with me just to see how that stuff pans out but I did make an oath to to be a good friend to Ken and and I left Ashley this time leaving Ashley is an act of queer allyship so my original playthrough I picked uh Caden to die yeah because Mm -hmm. I wanted 
I was like, well, Ashley's a girl and I want the girl to keep, you know, to stay with me. And it wasn't, and my character was a space racist. So it made sense that she'd pick the space <laughs> racist to together. keep with her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I like the cut of your jib, Ashley. <laughs> I, as a, let's see how old I was. I was 22, 23 when I played this game um, for the first time. I let Ashley live for unbelievably goofy reasons because I was like, well, I I kind of like Liara and I can romance her, but like Ashley's the only other girl here that I know I can romance, so mm. better keep my options open like a weird <laughs> pervert. Um, and and also I just thought Caden was like maybe maybe top three or four most boring character that's ever been written for any sort of medium. But but I have to say, okay, and Ken, I'm I I'm not just saying this. I made a concerted effort to get to know Caden in this one. Actually, ask the questions. Actually, listen to the dialogue instead of jamming the X button uh, to get through all the dialogue. And I have to say, I I want to keep I want to keep him alive, and I want Love to get to know him better. The redemption um, of Caden Alenko. Oh my for god! The redemption of Caden Alenko. Also, a Ken. Had completely forgotten how straight they tried to write that character. They did. That they was did. wild. I really had forgotten that. There were like three or four conversations where he's like, "Yeah, like we, I had to bunk up for like a month on the station with this girl." And Shep's like, mm. "Did you like her?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, but uh, yeah. and it's like, <laughs> what is happening? What? what no, what, what yeah. kind of character did you think you were writing here? Come on, uh, yeah, bro, I'm yeah, so straight, I love ladies." I love ladies. I love the girls. <laughs> yeah. I just love it. I mean, it's not super believable, but they still wrote it. You know, it's mm. like, oh wow. Um Yeah. So yeah, I, I am just uh, forgot about that. Yeah, so I'm obviously like anyone that's listening to the show knows that I, I save Caden every time and I think uh largely across the trilogy that is the one that is rewarded. I think that is the character that actually has an arc that doesn't in by not acknowledging his past like yeah. Ashley Williams does because like what people like I, I I got into it today with some people that were like uh Ashley has an arc though she, she like lets her go over racism and I'm like not talking about your racism is not the same thing as confronting it and like disavowing it right because like, I feel like there's this, there's this weird Mandela effect that people have of, like of some scene that does not happen in the Mass Effect trilogy that Ashley like has this conversation where she's like oh you know I was coming from like they, I think they do, to her credit, I think they do a decent enough job of, like, setting up why she might have those views and sure. her family history that would lead her to, you know, be so emboldened. But, yeah, like, I, I, I think in terms of, like, a payoff and, like, actually, like, being respectful to the arc that you are setting for a character in Mass Effect 1, I think Ashley is the one in Mass Effect 1 that just, like, completely gets the shaft. And, uh, cause I do, and I do think that, like, by and large, most of the Mass Effect 1 crew is kind of unremarkable compared to where they end up. Yeah, probably with with sure. the exception of Rex, I think, because like he does have the Vermeer moment, and that is like yep. a a very clear turning point, like leading into something that like who I think has one of the best arcs in the in the trilogy. Yeah, but uh, by and large, like I'm like this is not the Liara that everyone that everyone talks about. This is not the Tally that everybody talks about. This is not. It's definitely not um, the Garrus. It's definitely not the Garrus everyone talks yeah. about. Yeah, no, sure. Garrus no, is the biggest difference. Garrus, sure. Liara is changes so a huge. Liara changes a lot from Mass Effect yeah. one to two. She's like written very young and naive right. in one right and in two in almost she's... a creepy way right and then in two honest. she's just like a total on it she's like a total very competent badass and right she's like a... i like her a lot more in two honestly I, I do not remember who said it on twitter and i'm so sorry there have been just too many good tweets but someone said uh 
Liara's arc is from nerd to goth. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's, no. pretty, it's pretty funny. She's like, you know, and then the super confident in two and three, which is really funny and very, very into her own deal. Um, yeah. But yeah, like Garrus, really boring. Like, oh my god! What, whatever, yeah. whatever, uh, whatever I just said about um, uh, uh, Caden being boring, uh, Garrus is pretty boring in Mass Effect One, and yeah. I had not really remembered that. But um, yeah. yeah, I I think two and three get all of these characters better in yeah. different ways. That is, I, and that is I, one I, thing I am happy about Legendary Edition is that we're having an opportunity to kind of collectively, like, in a more uh, online era, to have like second conversations about a lot of these things and i hope that it does extend because like it's kind of weird like we're all playing through these games in real time and like waiting for ever like the the public to get further and on and like wait for more conversations to spring up because right now i still feel like we are largely in the mass Effect one era of legendary edition discourse and yeah um so like those are what we're talking about and i think you know we'll have to confront more things as we go on and uh some of those are exciting some of those i'm dreading deeply dreading i'm not ready for mass effect three week but yep um like, yeah, with I, with Garrus, like, I wrote for uh, a wonderful site that once existed about how uh, Garrus is not that character in, in Mass Effect 1. And, like, every conversation with him, you walk up and you're basically like, hey, Garrus, so let's say an orphanage was burning down, but there was a criminal in it. Would you let it keep burning down or would you put the orphanage out? And Garrus is like, nah, I'd let that shit burn. And then you're like, <laughs> do I think this is a good thing or a bad thing? And mm. you, you comment back on that. And Garrus is like, huh, I'll think about your choices, Shepard. Um, and it's, it's almost weird. Like you can kind of see some of the working ideas that they had that would spring up in later ones like, like obviously they do the same thing again with garris later but the idea of having these sorts of like good resolutions or bad resolutions that can affect a character's trajectory as a person um in dragon age obviously they have the weird softening and hardening or whatever mm-hmm. they call it where mm, yeah. uh, certain characters become more murderous or less murderous <laughs> um but uh like I think the one I would fight you on, Ken, is that I think Tali's still pretty good in Mass Effect 1, uh, if only because she's, like, fresh off her pilgrimage, so she's the most relatable to the character in terms of being new to the Mm. universe. And uh, you also end up, if you do, like, the Geth incursions and stuff like that, you have the, the opportunity to give her like literal data on the geth that could help her people and end her pilgrimage. Um, but also, you know, like could technically be a security breach and all that. Mm. And uh, I, I think that's an, a really interesting thing. And, and Tally just ends up having like these really cool little conversations where you talk about how it's hard for her to sleep because of that's how so quiet great. the engines are. So and good. stuff. She has some, some good little writing, like yeah. Yeah, good I, little conversations. Yeah, I, I think I agree on that, but I also think that she is probably more so than anyone else on the ship. The biggest example of like telling, not showing and is because she is like the singular representative of her race in this game. Yes. Um, yeah. And so I think it is a lot of like, you kind of just take her at her word for like what the, you know, what a Korean culture is. And, uh, and I, and I do think that she, in terms of like, you know, the jump from Method 1 and 2, I think her, like her loyalty mission in Method 1 and 2 is one of like the best things written in the entire series. And I think it does put like, a, I was going to say put a face to what she's talking about, but it literally puts masks to that, what she's talking about. I, I agree that like she is like probably her and Rex are the two that I think have the, are like the, the most standout here for sure. 
but altogether, I don't think anybody reaches anything close. Like, the moments that we talk about where these characters aren't in Mass Effect 1, I don't think, yeah. and I think okay. that's mostly true with the exception of, like, Rex. Right. Well, they had to start somewhere. Right, they for sure. They start somewhere. Like, and I do and really respect it as, like, a foundational thing. And, and the thing that, that you have to different. remember, well, two things. One, mm-hmm. the thing you have to remember is that everybody loved all these characters anyway. Like, I remember when I played Mass Effect 2 for the first time, and the first time I saw Garrus, and I was like, mm. Garrus, my old pal! Yay! And then I was like, oh, I understand, like, the hook of this game, mm. because, uh-huh. like, I could, like, I feel like I've really bonded with all of my crewmates. This is great. Yeah. Right. Um, the other thing is, I think it's so Final Fantasy V in the way that you recruit most of them, because you find practically your entire crew outside of Liara on the Citadel. <laughs> yeah. In one, like, singular conflict, too. They're yeah. all right. wrapped yeah. up in the same mess. Yeah. And they're like, do you want to come with me? Why, yes, I do. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and it's weird because now playing Mass Effect 2, like, I've described Mass Effect 2 a few times now as a game that absolutely knows what it is and, like, owns it to some extent because, like, when Garrus shows up, it is... It's it's hammy in Mass Effect Mm. 2 where he does the whole pose and all that and he's like... Saw you down there, Shepard. Thought I'd, you know, ping your shields just to make it look real and all that. And it, like, he's just exuding cool. And you're just like, man, this is not Garrus from Mass Effect 1, but I like this Garrus from Mass Effect 2. You got yeah. cool in the span of two years. Uh, so much so that now Fast 9 is doing that same scene with Han. And I'm like, yes, good job. <laughs> um, I'm but sure it is intentional. Also, it is also weird that like a lot of these characters do start out as kind of naive and, and yeah. um, I guess not innocent, but like, like they still murder people. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but like Liara is like, Oh, I'm a child by Asari standards. And Tali's like, I'm just out on my pilgrimage and my right into adult. There's a lot of adulthood talk. The more I think about this <laughs> and Garrus is like, I'm just a baby cop. Who's trying to figure out what it means to be a, a grown up cop. And, <laughs> uh, and then you come into mass effect too. And all three of those characters are like, yeah, we got our shit figured out. Like, we're super cool <laughs> now. We spent two years yeah. away, and now we're super badasses. And you're like, oh, my crew's going to own so much yeah. now. Yeah. We're all punished, um, Garrus, and punished Tali Finally. Now. Yeah. <laughs> finally. Yeah. Um, I guess just, like, you know, looking forward, and I guess even backwards at the same time, like, do you feel that Mass Effect 1 does stand the test of time? Like, is this something that you feel gamers nowadays especially if they didn't play this game back then or even if they bounced off it uh and are just now trying to come back i have heard from a few people that are like oh i tried mass effect one i didn't like it but i played mass effect two and i really like that so i just played two and three yeah um like do you do you think it's worth going back and seeing this stuff and and playing through one i think it is in the i think it is in the sense of i played all the ps1 era final fantasy games first and mm-hmm. I then went back and played some of the SNES stuff. And I had the moment where I was like, this is dated. This is super dated. I've got to accept that this is dated and like figure out how to work past that. And I did. And that means that I played games like Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VI and Final Fantasy IV and, and some other stuff and, and found some really great stuff, even though I was not 
playing that stuff as a contemporary. Like, I wasn't playing that stuff when it came out. I feel like, and maybe this is just, you know, wishful thinking, Mass Effect probably stands to be the same thing, the, the first one, of being the one that feels the oldest, it feels dated, it feels almost out of place now with 2 and 3, in a, in a way, but sets everything up in so such an interesting way that, like, I think it's worth it. I think it's, like... I think it's something some people are going to really like discovering and pushing through if they didn't play it the first time. Mm. Um, so I think it's worth it. Does it hold up? I, I don't know, because there are clunky elements. There are RPG things that are kind of shoehorned into this formula that I don't think work as well as I wanted them to. Um, but I still think it's a blast. So... Well, you know how I feel about it. <laughs> uh, I think that actually, so when I re when I played the original Mass Effect and then I went on to two, I for a long time actually was like, I don't know, you could probably skip one. Yeah. Um, because two really did feel like a big evolution from uh, one, and um, and you know the comic came out and the comic is still in legendary editions so you know you can theoretically make all the choices and then straight go straight to two but i do think that you're missing something mm -hmm. if you skip one you're missing those relationships it won't hit as hard when you find garrus when you find yeah. rex when you find all those uh -huh. characters It'll and the journey yeah. won't be as much and then plus you're missing out on some really genuinely fun t fantastic missions you know like mm. i mean we were talking about uh the grand finale we were talking about uh with rex and making the the big sacrifice with uh kaden and ashley and everything if you mm -hmm. lose all that you know you lose a lot mm -hmm. honestly from mass yeah. effect so in that sense you absolutely should and then i tend to be the person who will see the good in a game like mm. i'll be like no they're, they're still good in this game and I look at it and I'm like, yeah, it's a different flavor, but that's not a bad thing per se because yeah. it's slower, it's more thoughtful, it has more of a horror vibe, there's more exploration uh, to be done and that kind of thing. The Citadel's bigger, there's a scope to this universe. And yeah. then, you know, I can see why plenty of action fans like Mass Effect 2 better, but as an RPG fan, I kind of prefer the original. Mm -hmm. That's why I... Yeah. I'm like, play it, man. Yeah. Mm. I um definitely play it. My I my thing is like I know that like 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 we like we said that like it it is dated, it is very much like comparatively speaking to like two and three a slog to play. Um but I don't think Is it a slog? I I found it really enjoyed well, it. I I will say, like to its credit, like to Legendary Edition's the credit, I think a lot of the slog has kind of been taken away and I really yes. appreciated that when I had to play the game a second time. Because uh, like the, wait, like hold on. we can't get to the end of this podcast without you explaining why you had to play this game. Yeah, twice. I just okay. realized that. <laughs> I want to know. All right, so I got. It's a great reason. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, I, I haven't played these games since we did them from the show, and I'm bringing this on a new system. I want to have like a definitive, like completionist playthrough that I can take to the trilogy and you know really like sink my teeth into it and enjoy everything new that they have touched up and done. Um, I did that. I got. 
near the end game. I was like, hell yeah, I've I have been really enjoying this game a lot. I've been like more incentivized to do like all the side quests and stuff just because like the loading screens were like non-existent and runs at a very nice 60 FPS on PS5. And I'm just like, yes, this is what I need. This is what I want to like get to this game and not be miserable. This this is like as good as it was gonna get. Uh, I got to the ILOS section. Like I was like heading into ILOS. We uh, Udina had just sold us out. Um, we were. <laughs> We were ready to, or like we were downtrodden in the Normandy. And you know that scene where Shepard like sits down in front of the lockers and the love interest comes up? Yes. Uh, I have been, uh, in however many times that I've played this game, uh, I've never had a a scene where Shepard sits down and has somebody come up because I don't have a love interest in Mass Effect 1 because Mass Effect 1 does not let me romance Caden. It does not let me romance any man. It is like the only, like there are no acknowledgments that men have sex with men in this game anywhere. Yeah. And for some fucking reason, I played through this game. I played like over like 30 or so hours of Mass Effect 1 Legendary Edition. Liara starts com- comes up to me. I explicitly told her I was not, I had no intention of being in a romantic relationship with her. I had no interest in that whatsoever. Conversation goes on and I'm like, why are you here? I don't, like, we had this conversation. I don't know why you're here. So, like, I take all the renegade options thinking this will tell her to, like, fuck off. And, you know, that would not be nice, but it would be the only way for me to make the game acknowledge that we aren't in a relationship. Those renegade options did not do that. It was just, it just made me angry through, like, the whole conversation, but it still just almost ended the same way. bad boy. Yeah. <laughs> and so, oh I'm like, oh, God. so I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So I... Turn the system off. I reload a save. The only conversation I can have with Liara at that point is about her sex life. And for oh somehow, God. somehow, despite the fact that I said, I don't want to be in this relationship, the game registered me and Liara in a relationship. I had one wow. save. So. Oh, man. How do you even do that? How do you I, even, It's like, it's, I, I trip over new saves in this game. How does that happen? I, I don't, like, I... <laughs> I was intentionally saving in one file because I, I thought I was just I thought I was fine. Right, I didn't I didn't, oh. I didn't I expected nothing to happen. And so I realize my two options are I finish the game and let the romance happen, like basically writing my shepherd as anything more than a boy liker, or I start over. Right. Yeah, which I did, and I skipped every cutscene. I did not talk to Liara or Ashley, so the game could not possibly perceive me as having any romantic interest in them. Um, I did all the main quests, and I did quests, like side quests that I knew had some level of carryover into the trilogy. Uh, through skipping cutscenes and doing basically what is like the bare minimum, got through it in five hours. And so that is the playthrough that I have taken to the Legendary Edition. So, miss, I, I, this is this is something that I like. <laughs> And hold mm. on, it's very important that I tell you at this point. Mm. Uh, I romanced Liara um, okay. to the finish line, whatever you want to call that, uh, and you can turn her <laughs> down. The finish I didn't. Line. I didn't want to say to completion, <laughs> but um, uh, there's there's an option to turn her down right at the moment of like when she comes to your room. You can straight up say like, "Don't do it, forget it." I will tell you now that you can do that. The game still registers you as in a romantic relationship, regardless of whether you do the deed or not. That is something wow. that I do, that is something I distinctly remember from my days living on the Bioware forums. Um, so that's one wild. one thing. Like I like anyone who criticizes Bioware's use of like the heart icon 
in like their future games of like quote unquote gamifying relationships miss me with that bullshit that is something that comes from people that have never had to be a gay man in these games trying to like the only means you have of expressing your sexuality in these games is to avoid women like right. that comes from people right, right, that right. have never like not had to have been catered to in these games because yeah. like yeah. I have been pretty like I, I had to be very vigilant for the majority of my playthroughs of this game to ensure that my shepherd's identity as a gay man <laughs> was recognized in text and yeah. I don't know what happened this time. Because, like, I literally had the conversation where I said, not interested. And then the next conversation I was having was about her sex life. I don't know what, what happened, what wrong dialogue I picked. But it wouldn't have happened if there was a heart icon. And that's one of the yeah. things that, like, I don't know, like, if it was with, like, the UI they have. But, like, I feel like there is a clarity issue that did not need to make its way into Legend of It did not need to survive the remastering process. Right. That I feel like a very small sector of the, the player base is going to be the people that really points it out. And that's me. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, I will like, I think Mass Effect 2, uh, like as a singular game is like the worst writing of romance across the trilogy, maybe for Bioware that I've ever experienced, but at least it's very clear about shit. Like the, the sure. clarity is there and uh, they're like flashing neon signs on what uh, dialogue options are going to get me in a romantic relationship. So yeah, yeah. That was my Mass Effect 1 experience. Like, really, like, really enjoying uh, the, the remaster and, like, everything that it did to make the clunkiness of some things go away and just make it, like, just generally easier and, like, more of a breeze to get through. But that, uh, it, it is almost poetic at this point that that was my fucking undoing after all those years of talking my shit about this. That I, I play these games again for the remaster and that is the thing that I fucking Incredible. have to start the game over for. Incredible. You almost romanced a blue lady by accident. <laughs> you hate to see it happen. You, yeah, do hate to see it. The game but really wants you to end up with Liara, doesn't I, it? I know. It, really it's like I, it super does. Yeah. Like how clear? Like how much clearer can I be? I yeah. can't leave you on Vermeer like I can leave Ashley. <laughs> and it is like bizarre to play it now, especially after we did our Jade Empire season, where they did have same-sex relationships mm -hmm. that didn't feel like it was this big. <clears throat> like arm twisting thing to have them and be able to play a queer character in that space. But then as, as we've learned from, you know, interviews and stuff that have come out since uh, there was a preemptive scare going around and mm -hmm. especially like post mass effect one after, you know, yeah. the, the, the Jeff Keeley interview <laughs> and, and Fox news getting all worked up about alien side boob. Uh, and and then going into Mass Effect 2, where we get to have characters like Jack, who openly express that they're bisexual but can't have bisexual romances and all mm. that. It's like Jeez. it's yeah. it is still in, in some ways the Legendary Edition ends up becoming an archival work of just what game yeah. writing what the, was back then. What and, the fucking industry was dealing with. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's. It's interesting to look at in so many different ways, but but to that end, I'll say like my answer to this question is just that like yeah, you should play Mass Effect One. It's it's definitely like I wrote as much today, and I was telling Ken I felt weird saying it because I felt like my headline for it came off feeling negative. That I was like it's been smoothed out, but it's still Mass Effect One, and I realized yeah. I was like oh that could probably be read negatively, couldn't it? But if you read the article, like I'm basically just like. This is this is that game. Like they did not do anything that's going to drastically no. reimagine this. No. You are going to feel that you are playing a remastered version of an old game in all the ways from gameplay to writing and, and all the stuff we just talked yeah. about. But it is 
still fascinating to go back and look at as something of a time that is, you know, slowly, gradually, thanks to the unstoppable march of time, becoming, you know, an old relic and yeah. becoming an old school of thought. And yeah. That's interesting in some ways. I do sometimes feel a little bit heartwarmed that we have that as a weird thing. And then we go into stuff like Mass Effect 3 and even like Baldur's Gate and stuff like that, where it's way easier to role play the characters that you want to be. Um, but yeah. it is an archival work in that sense. Mm. Yeah. It does also absolutely own though i got it i just like mass effect Mm. (laughs) it's still great i mean like there's there's still moments where um yeah i've just been bebopping along and like you know before i realize it it's 2 a.m and i'm just planet hopping like getting Mm -hmm. all the you know doing doing basically everything i can uh before you know progressing the main story and i'm just like oh man this game is it is very good. It is one of my favorites, and it, and it is still one of my favorites, blemishes and all. Um, yeah, I've been having a blast with it. So, I think if you do the Space Monkey mission, you have to bring Rex with you. It's very important that you do that, because Rex gets so exasperated with hunting down all the Space Monkeys. <laughs> yeah, that's it. God, I haven't done that one yet. I'm not looking oh, forward to it, but I will. He is a, I'll definitely he bring a great Rex. line. Yeah, He's Rex, just Rex like, is oh, Rex we gotta is, get another monkey. Rex is a fucking self-insert <laughs> in that mission because I, I absolutely hated that mission. Um, yeah, no, that's a good game. But you're right. I mean, it's still it's still the OG through and through. Like you're still gonna, you know, take your uh, Mako and clumsily uh, shove it up against one of those Prothean pyramids and run up the side like it has no actual slope, and then look down. <laughs> And then it says, do you want to capture the pyramid as an artifact? And then you have to do a little button mash game. There's so many weird little parts of the interface of this game that I'd forgotten about. Um, I, oh, I love that the mini games are still different between console and PC. Because yeah. I was so worried they were going to like even that out. But no, it's console so still strange. has to do that dumb Simon Says thing. Yeah. And PC still has to do that dumb like fit the arrow through the the rotating circles thing and uh-huh. it's great yeah it's really it's really bizarre yeah they didn't change or improve that at all they just kept it in um, i mean all the mini games in mass effect are like mass effect bad. 2s are pretty pretty dumb too yeah, but in a way that true. is at least memorable <laughs> yeah but yeah no mass effect 1 is still super charming and gosh yeah it's it's great to play through it again for sure cat do you have any closing thoughts here on mass effect 1 I think that it is a fantastic game. It's also a little bit of an artifact lost out of time, but it also reflects an older Bioware, a Bioware that maybe doesn't exist anymore, mm. and that makes me a little bit sad in some ways. And so I like to go back to the original Mass Effect and touch a moment in history that is no longer here. I think it's really interesting, as I already mentioned, to play through Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3 and watch uh, Bioware evolve and maybe not all to the good as Mm. i was already saying there's a roughness to this game and there's a it's not particularly polished but i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because polished bioware kind of annoys me if i'm being honest (laughs) it's yeah (laughs) it's definitely a bridge from its kotor days and its Baldur's gate 2 days into the later you know part of its uh, the later part of its history i think and then, but beyond that, like just on a moment to moment basis, I've just, I've found it really charming and yeah. people are like going, oh, this is not a, 
this game doesn't hold up, etc. But like, you know, I spent a whole bunch of time wandering around the Citadel. I was like, this is actually really cool. Like, I love how big this is. The moment when you step out of the elevator, which, by the way, I love that the elevators are so much faster now. Oh, and you can yeah. still listen to the conversations, but yes. it at the same time, like you can just finish them almost immediately. That's great. Mm. And the first time you step out of the elevator and you're in the console areas and you see those beautiful trees. And I'm like, oh, this the environmental art design in this is actually really strong. I'm kind of impressed, honestly. So, yeah, yeah, it's a good game. It's definitely a throwback to classic PC gaming in many ways. When I look at the characters, I'm like, oh, it's like Deus Ex almost in the way that they're talking and the way that they look. But, yeah, no, uh, I... I have been putting myself in the mindset of like this is an artifact from history and mm-hmm. that has mm-hmm. been giving me a surprising amount of enjoyment. So, yeah. yay, yay, Mass uh, Effect One. I'll, I'll, <laughs> it's I'll the say best one. Really, really, yeah, I agree with you, Cat. Um, <laughs> really briefly to Cat's point about the elevators, uh, we haven't talked about like improvements that much, and I'll just really briefly say the load times in this game are yep. pretty sweet. Oh, like, there's yep. so much really, better. I would not have been able so to play good. it twice if it yeah. hadn't been that. Like they they are noticeably very brief, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to where they were. So like that is, and it's not just the elevators. This is like you think about how many times you move from room to room and uh, Normandy to planet and things like that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that stuff is brisk, mm-hmm. really brisk, especially on Xbox Series X. Um, yep. So that that is definitely welcome uh, for yep. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway. like mm-hmm. the like the three. There, there's so many improvements and stuff like that that we talked about, but like the three things that honestly like make this for me are that you can get XP while you're driving the Mako, um, yeah. which is absolutely massive yep. uh, in ways that I, I think make this game not as punishingly difficult as it used to be. Mm. Speaking as someone who would go do that Liara mission first and kill a bunch of Geth in the Mako and then try and do that fight on foot significantly yeah, underleveled for what you should have been. <laughs> yeah. um, but also, like, faster loading times in photo mode. Like, I, I can't stress no. enough. Like, I've spent a lot of time in photo mode just yep. getting good pictures. Like, yeah. As I a was... media person, weirdly, it's also useful because now we can finally have really good Mass Effect photos to use as yeah. lead images yeah. on all oh, of our yeah. articles. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's great. After all these years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I will say though I think like relative to like other more like compared to something like Cyberpunk Ghost of Tsushima I, I think the photo mode for this is kind of lacking in some of the more uh, elaborate features, but uh, I'll I'll just take a photo mode in anything and like I have been spending like the games are taking me twice as long to beat just because I keep stopping and taking photos. Yeah, yeah. I sp- I spent a really long time trying to make the Mako flip in front of Earth on the moon and take a sick picture of it. And I was so happy when I did it. I was just ecstatic. That's amazing. Yeah. I, um, my sort of wrapping thoughts are, I do think, large, like by and large, the play in a method one is something that I don't think is really improved by much of this game in terms of like the actual like mechanical stuff of it. But um, I did openly weep when the intro started. So, Aww. yeah, I... Even, like, like I do prefer 3 overall, but I do think coming yeah. back in, like, that more, that quote-unquote quieter opening and, like, seeing just how much better it looked was, like, probably the yeah. best way for me to come back in and it feel like home the way it normally does. And, mm. um, it was, like, despite that I had to play it fucking twice for the gross heteronormative bullshit that Mass Effect has always fucking plagued me with, um, <laughs> I was glad to be back and... yeah. Even if 
I do have my various problems with the way it plays. I was happy to still be there, and I'm, I'm happy that this exists, even if it is very contextual in terms of what made it, like some of the things that made it special, even for the time. So yeah, that's all I can really say to like newcomers is like give it a chance. I I, I did not open we we but I did get very kind of emotional about like that intro and just and and here's a big big part of what what really uh, keeps me coming back to that game. That soundtrack is mm. just oh, really yeah. good. I mean that that kind of very light instrumental that plays. Um, you know, at the very beginning when you're when you're going into the game, um, that also plays spoilers at the very, very, very end of the epilogue of the entire trilogy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, that's just like a powerful through line, and uh, the Presidium music in the Citadel is just like amazing. And I don't know, uh, a lot of that music stuff really uh, keeps me kind of attached emotionally to the game. So mm. yeah, I, I got emotional too. It was like. Yeah, felt like coming home, which which is cool. The Galaxy Minimap music is absolutely oh, undefeated. I just I, every I, time I open the map, I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> I put I put that ten hour loop on that's on uh, mm. YouTube, and I just am like, all right, it's time to work. Uh, you know, it's 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 I do that a lot. It's a great great yep. theme. It's like whoever you know, whatever composers were working on that that day, they they earned that paycheck. Yeah, they, <laughs> that fucking, they killed it. Um, yeah no i mean that's i think that's a good way to wrap it it's just that this is it just feels good to be back on the normandy it it feels Mm -hmm. so weird even as someone who played mass effect one as recently as january of this year like playing it again was just it felt new it felt fun and and it's hard to not count like the fact that we have so many people who are replaying at the same time there's Mm -hmm. something to be said for like in the way that Animal Crossing was not just the game, but the people that were playing it and sharing it at the same time. Like Mass right. Effect is that way right now where everyone is talking about it and like excitedly being like, oh my God, I love this game. Look at this photo mode thing. Oh my God, Garrus is the best. Oh my God, I'm all shit post about Garrus. Oh my God. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's, it's really good. Um, and I think that's going to do it for our Mass Effect 1 roundtable here. We're one out of three done. This was a Ooh, fun one. Let's go. Um, for the folks at home, we're kind of treating this as separate from our main uh, retrospectives. We are still continuing The Last of Us. So if you're listening to this now, uh, The Last of Us is continuing. We're heading into part two. Uh, Jackson right now is our next episode up to record as we are recording this. Um, so that will continue unabated. Uh, this will go up uh, for the free feed on May 24th, followed by uh, Mass Effect 2 on May 31st and Mass Effect 3 on June 7th. However, if you are a patron at any tier, you can sub in and not only will you get access to the Discord, but you will get access to these three roundtables for Mass Effect as soon as they are done. That's normally a $5 Patreon tier level, but we want to do this for the roundtables just because, you know, we want to support all our patrons and and recognize all y'all that have been with us for all of this. Uh, We won't be doing the shout outs every week that will stay on the weekly episodes but we do want to just make sure to extra thank y'all who have been supporting us and and for the guests who came on uh john where can the folks at home find your work and and follow what you do you can find my twitter which was real spicy today although when <laughs> banging twitter movie, yeah, it was real <laughs> spicy today um you can find me on twitter at floppy adult you can also find 
uh, everything Fanbyte does over at fanbyte.com, of course, and all of our podcasts at podcastnet.org. Cat Bailey, how about yourself? And you can also find me over at Acts of the Blood God. We have a free feed and also a Patreon feed where you can get episodes ad-free and a week early for five bucks a month plus special episodes. And also, and so Eric was just on the show recently yeah. talking about Mass Effect, the legendary edition. And also, that was one tour. of the goofiest episodes we've ever recorded in quite some time. <laughs> we created a lot of uh, in-jokes in that one episode, Eric, I think. <laughs> like did. legalizing Death Stranding. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> some, would, some would say, Kat, that, that Acts of the Blood God, the best RPG podcast. Wow, that's a big so that's a big saying. thing. Given that you guys, uh, Fanbyte has a uh, listen, <laughs> listen. We we don't have the best podcast. We have the the fucking goofiest podcast about RPGs. So. Oh, nothing wrong with that. No, there's I, nothing wrong yeah. with that. I'm just. I saying. went on 99 potions and had a great time. It was, it was a, a lot of fun. Yeah, so we enjoyed having you. And my day job is IGN, and I don't think I have to tell you to go there. You probably go there anyway. <laughs> you probably go oh. there anyway. Oh, I, just, I you probably do. And also, I just want to say. Absolute like mass, massive uh, respect to mm. everyone over at IGN that uh, yes, yes, has yeah. been I don't know just doing amazing stuff in the wake of some wild stuff. I just think y'all have done a great job with that, and we're rooting for everyone uh, on that side of things. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Really I just appreciate to say it. That. Yeah, folks, you know who we are. You know who me and Ken are, and we will see you <laughs> next time on Normandy FM. Roundtable edition with Mass Effect 2.